Burnham, you'll have seen them there. Perhaps I could invite them both to come up. So, it's great to have you. Dave, can you tell us a little bit about the history of New Frontiers and how we became New Ground? Did you uh, hear the word a little bit? Which is a hint for don't go on for too long, because we've now got a long history. So, New Frontiers began in the early 1980s, and it grew as a family of churches actually in the southeast of England. King's Church Hastings was one of the first churches ever became part of uh, the New, Fran- New Frontiers family. So you've been around right from the beginning. I'm not sure how many of you were actually there at that time, but maybe one or two <laughs> of you was. I was. I'm not here, but I remember you joining. And, um, and basically, over the next few decades, we just grew and grew and grew into this wider family of churches. And we got to a place where we realized that we were growing so much that in order for us to really continue to plant churches and reach out, we couldn't stay in the same kind of shape that we were. So we had this crazy idea of multiplying. So fundamentally, New Frontiers, which is still our wider family of churches, multiplied into numerous families of churches, of which New Ground is one of those uh, families of churches, which we have the privilege of leading. And for those of you that are interested in numbers, we were about, uh, about seven, uh, 700 churches um, when we multiplied, working to about 30 nations, and now we're way over 2,000 churches working into over 80 nations. So wow, it's been an amazing yeah. journey. Praise God. Liz, perhaps you'd explain how New Ground works now um, and in connection with New Frontiers. Oh, in connection with New Frontiers. Yeah, well, so as Dave said, we're now lots of different um, families of churches so that we can grow. And uh, New Ground still totally related to New Frontiers. And what's amazing is that when New Frontiers became this much bigger family, we decided, because we've been so relational, we just want to carry on being friends. So we do that in many ways. Um, Dave's part of the New Frontiers global team. They meet quite regularly to keep you on the straight and narrow. (laughs) Um, But it's a great security, isn't it, for us to know we're part of a much wider family and wider network where brothers and sisters share what we believe and we stand together and we're accountable together. And um, I think that's it. Yeah. That'll do. (laughs) That's great. Dave, how would you describe New Ground? Um, I think New Ground we would describe as a, a family of churches. I think um, that's important, that phrase. We've kind of used it a lot, but we don't believe we're a denomination. We don't actually have a um, a headquarters. Um, We're held together relationally. So I think we're a family of churches. We believe we're on a mission that God's given us together. We're passionate about things like word and spirit. We're passionate about uh, planting churches. I would describe us more and more. I don't think we have been yet, but we're going into being a real church planting family of churches together. Um, We've had seven really fantastic years. That's how long we've been going. And uh, we just believe this year God is 
turning the page and saying to us, okay, for the next seven years, what do you want? And we've said, well, we just want to multiply everything that we, are, um, that we have been experiencing so far. So now I describe ourselves as a, a family of churches on a mission to multiply, um, to, to see many more churches planted, to see many more nations reached, to see many more areas that we all live in being impacted by the gospel. Um, and I feel more and more that we, there's a sense, if those, some of you are Ashburnham, there's just a sense of God saying to us, come on, I'm with you, and I've got a mission for you to fulfill, and you haven't even begun to see the things that I've got in store for you in the future. Liz, yes. what's coming up in Newground? What, uh, what can we do to get involved? Well, one thing is the prayer week that you've got. On the Wednesday night, it's a new ground prayer night, and via video link, you get to see what's going on in churches across new ground and get prayer and pray for other churches, which is just, everyone really enjoys that when we do it, especially when the video link goes wrong, but um, that's great. Um, We have various things coming up. We have Connect, which is for a big crowd of 1830s, and I think they're going to Berlin, or is that wrong? That's not right, something else. I don't know. Um, we have um, yeah, probably <laughs> yeah. There's a very good new ground website um, doing things. There's a leadership conference coming up next year. Um, there's a women's conference in March next year. It's going to be outstanding, called Fearless. So I encourage all women to come to that, March the 13th and 14th. And then next year, which is a new venture, we're having um, conferences in the south of France and in Holland. And it's an international conference, so if you want a sunny weekend in the south of France, if you don't speak French, there will be translation, but it's, it's a great tag-on to your summer holiday. But there are things like this coming up where you can connect with the international family. Great. Thanks. Thanks so much. That's great. So before Dave speaks, let's give Dave and Liz a round of applause and show our appreciation for them coming. So it's a little bit of a flavour, I mean, it's just a little bit of a flavour of all that's going on. Uh, if you do get to get here on the, um, the 18th, isn't it, I think, of September, when we're having the, you're having a week of prayer, we're like you, we have exactly the same week of prayer and as a local church in London, and then we all gather on that Wednesday night particularly to pray for the nations. The reason those meetings are really important is it's actually very difficult if you live in a place like Hastings to be able to relate to, you know, what God's doing in other nations. But through the powers of modern technology, these people will come right here. Do you have it in this particular? Are you in there? Okay. So, because you have so many people come. So, uh, it just beams these people right through into your lives. And so, even, even if you don't go to these places, you kind of get to know them and identify with them. You might not know this, but the last two times we've had that, we've had nearly 800 people praying together on that night. And we're just praying to gather a thousand people on this coming Wednesday evening. So, you might be just this group of people praying here, but when you pray, You're joining prayers together with lots of other people, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, I I felt really to to bring a message tonight to you that is a kind of continuation of one of the themes that was coming across when we were gathered, many of us, at Ashburnham. And if you weren't at Ashburnham and you think, oh, here they go on about Ashburnham when I wasn't there, then my prayer is something of what we're talking about will just rub off onto you as well this evening, which would be great. The Word of God is full of tremendous promises. There are many, many of them. And we have a living God who has 
made these promises, spoken these promises over our lives, and then invites us to not just know about the promises, but actually to experience them together as a people. There are many promises that have been made over your life as an individual. There are many promises that have been made over the church of Jesus Christ of which you are a part. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I'm really stirred about is that I can know all these promises and I can remind you, and I will be reminding you of some of them tonight, but there seems to be a gap. And the gap is between the promises that God has spoken over our lives and the ability that we have to actually experience them. And I find it in my life when I read the promises of God and I hear people reminding me of the promises of God, I just feel that there is this kind of impasse between me experiencing those promises and knowing that God is faithful so that everything that he has declared, we know to be true. So Jesus said, peace I give to you. And if you're at all in anxiety, that's not God's will for you. His will is in the midst of your anxiety to know his peace. If you're a person who lacks power, then his promise to you is that you can have power. Jesus said that uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that's a promise from God. And so if you lack power tonight, he has power for you. We've just been singing it loudly. There is power in the name of Jesus. And that's not just a promise, though it is. That's something that you and I as Christians can experience because God has promised to give those things to us. I believe we're living in days when God wants this gap between the spoken promises that he has made in his word and us experiencing those promises to diminish. That this gap doesn't stay there any longer, but actually we begin to receive the promises of God. Every time you read the promise of God in his word, every time you're reminded of them, God's purpose is that you shouldn't just know about them, but that you should actually enter into them and that you should experience them for themselves. He's a living God. So he speaks and these things can come to pass. If he was not a living God, we'd have a religion with lots of laws and statements, but they wouldn't be alive. There was nothing that you and I could actually enter into. It'd just be, there's peace that you can have, but we wouldn't be assured that we can have peace Because we don't know if there's life to make those things come to pass. And there really is. The Bible is very clear that there are promises that God has made and he wants us to experience them. So here's the deal tonight. How can we experience the promises of God? And the answer to that question is we receive the promises of God by faith. Remember Abraham. He was told by God that he would give birth to a child. Well, not actually him, but his wife. But he was nearly 100 years old, and his wife was 99 or something like that, and he just knew that it was impossible for them to give birth to a child. And so one day he considered the one who had made the promise. And he wondered, and he said, have you got the power to make this happen? Is it possible that this should come to pass? And he came to a place where he said, I believe that the one who spoke has the power to perform that which he promised. And because of that, he believed God. And not through his own works or through his own ability, but just coming to that place of simple faith, he believed what God had said. And that moment, something happened. A miracle happened. He received the promise of God by faith. 
And the Bible is very clear that all the promises that God has made over our lives is to be received in the same way. That we are to receive these promises by faith. And some people think that faith is a very complicated kind of thing. All the problem is I haven't got enough faith and I need faith and I need to grow in faith. Here's what the Bible says about faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. It's simple. It's having assurance inside of you of the things that you hope for, that I know they'll come to pass. Not because of my level of faith, but because God is a faithful God. And it's the conviction. Something convicts me that I know that God can make things to come to pass that I can't see at the moment, but one day I know that I will see them. What's needed in our lives, therefore, is action. Action is needed to make these issues of promises by God become real in our lives. Not passively waiting. I think that in my life I often do this. I, I think I hear the promise of God or I see the promise of God. I read the promise of God. And then I, my posture is one of waiting. Okay, Lord, you said it. Here I am. I'm waiting for it. One day you'll give it to me. Real faith is leaning into the promises of God and saying, because you're faithful and I believe that you can do this, I'm going to become a person of action. I'm going to lean into this so that I can see it come to pass. So I think one of the problems with the gap is I'm passive. And I might be the only person in the room with this problem, which means you can ignore what I'm saying now. But if you identify with me on this, it's something to deal with. We've got to lean into the promises of God. We've got to reach out to the promises of God. We've got to exercise faith in the promises of God. Which is why I've entitled this word tonight, Asking, which is an active thing to do. You said it, I'm asking you for it. And I've entitled this word, Asking and Receiving, as we'll see in a moment, how important it is to then receive what God has promised. Again, an action kind of word. All through the Old Testament, there is promise after promise after promise after promise. And some of us think, well, that's just the Old Testament. That was for a bygone era. The truth is this. You then get to the New Testament, and there's this verse that says, and all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise that's ever been made, and you access them through Christ. Now, just stay with me for a moment. This is theologically... Okay, just stay with me. When you become a Christian, you are not left in a vacuum. You are placed into Christ. And because you're placed into Christ, you're placed into all the potential of all the promises from the beginning of time which can now be yours. It's not down to you. It's now your new position of being your new identity of being placed into Christ, which means that you and I can be confident that when we reach out or we lean into the presence of God, then those things can become ours. Problem is, a lot of us have reasons as to why we don't think we deserve the promises of God. Or we might say, do you know, I'm not doing very well as a Christian at the moment. I'm up and down. I doubt. I, I'm just not doing well. None of which is relevant to receiving the promises of God. It's not on the basis of how well you're doing. It's on the basis of how faithful God is to give his promises to you and become a reality. And then we get to Jesus and we find that he 
is above all other people full of making promises to us. He says things like, I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. I promise this, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We mentioned it already, his promise of peace I give to you. If you abide in me, I will abide in you. All these things shall be given unto you if you seek God's kingdom first. How much more does your heavenly father regard you? Greater things will you do in my name. All things will be made new. I promise to give you abundant life if you follow after me. And there's another one. And if you die, I promise this, you won't die, but you'll have eternal life. And you'll be with me forever. All of these things are just the promises that God has made over our lives. And one of the things I love about Jesus is how unapologetic he is in the way he declares his promises to us. Let's look at a few verses in scripture just to kind of drive this home. Matthew chapter 7 verse 7. Jesus said this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Over a few pages you get to Matthew chapter 18. And let's just read from verse 19. These are familiar words to us. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 21 says this. I can find it. There it is. Jesus has just cursed a fig tree and it's all shriveled up. Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you, you will not only do what has been done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. We just go to John's Gospel, chapter 14 and verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me, Anything in my name, I will do it. And finally, in John chapter 16 and verse 23. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Don't you just love this absolute, unapologetic statement after statement. Ask and it be given to you, it shall be done, etc. 
And some of us are thinking, yes, but we're living in the 21st century in Hastings. Surely there's a little bit of a bracket somewhere that says, and all you intellectual people in Hastings, Hastings, as you call yourself, all you people, you know, we'll, we'll let you off the hook. But it doesn't. It just comes out. Jesus comes out and says these things. And I want this to kind of wash over us. Because it really challenges me that Jesus doesn't let me off the hook. He says the same things today that he said all those 2,000 years ago. Go, he can do these things. He will do these things. There, are, there is no problem with the authority that Jesus has. To everything we ask him to do, he has the power and the ability to do it. Hallelujah. So he's okay. He, there's no problem with him. He's unapologetic. Everything he says. He speaks a word and he believes it. Sometimes when I'm preaching, I say things and I regret that I've said them. And my wife stares at me, giving, it's too late, the words have already gone out. I've sometimes tried to kind of, but it doesn't work. Once you've spoken, it's too late, the damage has been done. It's kind of like I regret that I said it. Jesus is not like that. He does not regret one word that he's spoken because he knows he has the power and the authority to cause it to come to pass. He's fine. He's great. So the issue, folks, with drawing this gap to, to get closer between the promise and the experience has to do with you and me. And so tonight, what I want to do with you is suggest to you, here's the deal. There are conditions that come with the promises. So he makes the promises to us. And if you read very carefully in some of those verses, you'll realize that there are some conditions. These conditions are not tiresome and they're not complicated or difficult. In fact, a child will be able to fulfill these conditions. And as we fulfill these conditions, something happens whereby we ignite the possibility of those promises becoming a reality. So are you ready for this? Listen, I yesterday um, afternoon went to a 25th wedding anniversary celebration. For a couple who did Alpha a year and a half ago and got saved. And one of the reasons they were redoing their vows, saying their vows to one another, was because they had both come to know the love of God and they wanted to really mean it this time round. I'm sure they meant it the first time, but all sorts of damage had been done to them over their lives. All sorts of traumas and difficulties. And she, the lady particularly, became an alcoholic. Um, and we're talking about the real deal. And uh, she became part of AA locally and made lots of friends and loads of people together coming off their addiction to alcohol and loads of things. Through coming on Alpha, she got wonderfully born again and got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And her husband got saved too. And their friends started to coming along. And she started to just be infectious with her faith. I don't know about you, but I love meeting people like this. And one of the reasons I love meeting them, this is a terrible thing to have to say, is this. They really believe in Jesus. They really believe in what he can do. Not only that, they're so naive and childlike that they just just want everybody else to know it too. too. Why am I using this as an illustration? Because we went to their 25th. It was amazing. The Christians were outnumbered three to one because the whole AA crowd were there. Everybody was there. It was an interesting group of people, to say the least. 
that we're celebrating this 25th wedding anniversary, the redoing of vows. As I stood there and as I watched this couple, I thought the difference between you and me is that I've grown old. And I have problems and difficulties sometimes believing God in the way that I once in my childlike faith used to do. And I said, Lord, please would you restore that in my life? I want to be like these young, naive Christians. You know, sometimes when people get saved, the thing, first thing I want to do is keep them away from Christians as long as possible. Because they're just living in this wonder. When Jesus said this, so I believe it. Jesus he can do anything, can do anything. Then they get into our small groups and they meet people like you and me who've been around a long time. Yes, we do believe these things, but you know, we have to take all these things with a, I mean, it's so sad that we've become like this. God bring us again to the place like this couple who is so in love with Jesus. They just believe he has the power to do anything. And we, we have one of our, we're a bit like you, we have a multi-venue church now and one of our venues now is, I'm not exaggerating, has rows of people who are on AA right now because this couple's lives have been transformed and they're all turning up, they're all rocking up because they know there's something to change their lives. So this couple believe what I'm just about to say to you and they live it out. Please join them and please pray for me to be born again. It's a joke, by the way, but I just thought it in. Four conditions. Just kind of go through them really quick. And then I'm going to pray that you and I will begin to enter into these. And you will be amazed at what God starts to do in your life. The first is the most profound thing probably you're ever going to hear in your life. The first condition is this. Ask. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that difficult? <clears throat> Why is this so important? Well, obviously, many of the verses that we've just read is Jesus declaring to us his desire for us to ask. And this is such a simple thing to do. And yet for many of us here tonight, it's a massive struggle. It's a struggle sometimes because we live in the British culture where it's inappropriate to ask, especially to keep on asking. It's just inappropriate to, to actually trouble people with things. I'm married to a person and she has this ability to, um, to take things back to a shop after she's bought them because she doesn't like... I think, how do you do that? Don't do that. Don't go and ask for it to be... She actually once had a pair of shoes that she wore for a year and a half and then something went wrong with them and she took them back to the shop and the girl laughed at her when she said, there's something wrong with shoes. I'm just interested in finding out. Is there any possibly that I could have a refund or a new pair of shoes? And she laughed. You've been wearing these for a year and a half. But Liz was absolutely going for it. She said, can you speak to your manager, please? So she phones up the manager and the manager comes back on and says, actually, we've had a lot of problems with these shoes. Give the lady a new pair. I mean, how on earth can you do that? I mean, I wouldn't even take something back to a shop. I'm a bloke. I wouldn't even do this. Having the ability to trouble people, to ask for things. It's difficult for us in our culture. And some of us who have become Christians are still struggling with it because we think, who am I to ask? The Bible is very clear. The only qualification you need to ask Jesus for the promises he's made over your life is that you're a child of God. There's nothing. It's not your behavior. It's not your culture. It's not how well you're doing or who am I. 
It's that he's made you to be his child and he lavishes his grace and his mercy upon you. You and I need to become good at asking. My friends who got their wedding vows, they just ask. It's scary. I preached a sermon in front of them and I know already they're going to go for it before I got to the end. This is what we must be like. Those of you that have got children, do your children ever have any problems with asking for things? Not once or twice or three or four times, but badgering you until you give them an answer. Then what are we supposed to ask for? Well, the Bible is very clear. We're to ask for anything. There is no separation between spiritual and secular when it comes to God. You think, well, I'll ask God for, I'll ask God for the spiritual things, but surely he's not bothered with the secular things, the domestic things of my life. Well, clearly, verse after verse, Jesus said, ask anything in my name and I shall do it for you. Small things, insignificant things. You're invited to ask him. Some of you think, well, I'm not going to trouble God with this. He's got the universe to handle. He's not going to be bothered with me. What you need to understand, the same God who is keeping the universe going is the one who says, even if a sparrow falls to the ground, your heavenly father knows about it. When you woke up this morning, God was thinking about you. That's what the Bible teaches. He was thinking about you. Do you think he doesn't know every detail of your, art, of your life? Ask him. Involve him in every aspect. Nothing is impossible for God, <clears throat> however small or however great it might be. If you don't ask, <coughs> excuse me, if you don't ask, you don't get. We just read it together in this last verse, John 16, verse 24. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. James chapter 4 and verse 2. The last part of this verse says this. You do not have because you do not ask. That's an issue for some of us. There are things that God wants to give to you, but he's waiting for you to ask him. And the reason you don't have these things tonight, hey-ho, is as simple as this. We haven't asked him to break into our lives. We need to get into the habit of asking God. Ask, ask, ask. Turn to the person next to you and say it three times. Ask, ask, ask. Come on, you can do it now, very quickly. especially when it comes to the promises of God that he has declared. I discern whether my children can have things. But while I'm discerning, it doesn't seem to stop them from asking repeatedly. Could it be that one of the reasons you and I are not receiving the promises that Jesus has made over our lives is simply we're not asking him? Number two, second condition. Comes again and again in these scriptures. Belief. Ask anything in my name, believing, not doubting, believing, have faith. Sometimes we can quote the promises, but there's something missing. And the thing that's missing is we really don't believe that he will do the things that he has promised. I believe God when I ask him for things because it's God who said it. That's where belief comes. 
And with that belief comes expectation. And the expectation is that the thing I'm asking for, I believe it's coming. It's on the way. There's not a lot of point quoting back to God the promises that he's made. He already knows them. He made them. But there's not a lot of point of quoting them back to him unless there's something ignites in our heart to believe him, to have faith that he will do this. So we just prayed for people tonight who have got sicknesses. When you and I are invited to pray for people who are sick, all we're asked to do is to believe that God can heal them. Have you noticed that you don't ever get to heal anybody? No one in this room ever heals anybody. Only Jesus heals people. But he has decided in his sovereignty that he wants to use ordinary people like you and me to pray. But when I pray, all I'm doing is having faith in the power of Jesus to heal people. It's taken me a long time, but I finally got to the conclusion that it's God's issue to heal people. and It's my issue to pray. To pray believing that God will work. It's a sad thing when you're praying for somebody and you don't really believe that anything's going to happen. I've prayed unbelieving prayers over sick people in my life. I've started praying and I'm not sure... Sometimes you, you pray for people who are sick and I, you say to them, before we pray, can you tell me what's wrong with you? Sometimes people then tell you story after story of things that are wrong with them. I wish you'd, I'd never asked you the question in the first place. I was already struggling with the fact that you were going to pray for one thing and now you've just given me a whole... And as you're speaking to me, my faith level is diminishing more and more and more. Because then I think it's down to me to do something. And it really isn't. It doesn't matter what your ailment, it doesn't even matter really whether you tell me or not. It's only Jesus that can come and that can heal you. When I say I prayed unbelieving prayers, it's like, Lord, thank you that you can heal this person, but you don't always heal, and I thank you, you're a sovereign. And even if you don't, I mean, please don't pray prayers like that. It doesn't help anybody. But we're called to pray simple prayers, and we're going to see miracles happen. Not because we pray well or we've learned some technique, but simply because Jesus has promised to heal. So the next time you pray for somebody and they don't get healed, that's not your problem. Pray for the next person. I think that I, you and I should pray, if we pray for a hundred people and none of them ever get healed, we should then pray for the hundred and first person. Because our attitude should be, God, you alone can heal people. What's going on here? Belief. Can I encourage you? The promises of God are true. Don't understand all the time why things happen, they don't happen. But we are called to be men and women of faith. To believe that God will answer us when we cry out to him. The third condition is we are asked to pray in his name. This is to pray for people in the name of Jesus. Sometimes we finish our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes we're relieved when someone comes to that part of the prayer because they've been praying for 15 minutes. And you've already rustled sweet papers and moved around a bit, trying to drop hints. Yes, amen, amen, some of you have said already. But this isn't how to finish a prayer in the name of Jesus, amen. This is to pray in his name. In his will, in his compassion, in his love, 
in his desire. Your prayer is surrounded by him. And the motive of your praying in the name of Jesus is for his glory and what you're asking for that it might affect people around you. Like it or not, one of the reasons that our prayers are sometimes not answered is because we pray with wrong motives. Look what it says in James chapter 4 verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. One of the reasons, folk, that we don't sometimes see prayers answered is because we've got a hidden motive. We've got something. So maybe we're praying for selfish gain. Some of you would have heard of what we sometimes call the prosperity gospel. And one of the big challenges with the prosperity gospel is that it can easily fall into people believing the same promises that we've even been looking at tonight. But it's about me, me, me and what I can get and accumulate and prosper. There's nothing wrong with prospering if the motive is that what you bless me with, I will bless other people with. What you give to me, I will give away. I want you to answer my prayers, not for my sake, but for all those people that are around me and for your glory alone. That's what it means to pray in the name of Jesus, in his name. So I want to be asking a lot more than I do. I want to be believing a lot more than I do. And then I want to make sure that what I'm asking and believing for, I am doing so right in the heart of God. Not with selfish motives, but for his glory alone. Jesus said, ask anything in my name. Some of you are already thinking, great, I'm going to get asking. My car needs, I'm going I'm to really go for stuff. That's fine. But just make sure you know, you sense that I'm praying in God's heart and God's will and for his glory. And then the final condition that we read about in these passages is the word receive. This is a definite condition that's mentioned again and again. And it kind of seems crazy, really, that you could have asked, genuinely believed, Asked in his name with the right motives and still you don't receive the promise because there's one more thing that you and I need to do. And that is to receive what God has promised to give to you. Think, well, this can't be possible for me to receive. I'm not worthy. Who am I? I'm in a mess. I'm not doing very well as a Christian. I'm up and down in my faith levels. I often doubt. I'm just not doing very well. As I reminded you earlier in this preach, it's not on how well you're doing that you receive, but you actually receive because of God's faithfulness. When my kids were younger, I would often travel away. So, for example, I might be going to another nation on Monday, and I'm going to come back on Friday. And on Monday, I'm saying goodbye to the kids because I'm just about to leave them. I say, just can I, just before I go, I really want you to know I promise to bring back some fantastic sweets because they were little and they always wanted sweets. And uh, I, I, I just want you to know, I'm promising now, when I come back, I'm going to give you all the sweets that you've asked me to get you. I'm going to get them, and I'll buy them, and I'll bring them back. So it comes Friday, and I, I've flown in or whatever, and I've come through the door, and I'm there. That, now, how is it with your children? Well, this is what it was like with mine. They're not even very interested to see me. They're after one thing. The sweets, the things that I promised to give them, 
before I went on the trip. They know that this is happening. And so I I bend down to them because they're little and I say to them, look, here are the sweets that I promised to give you. And they're here and they're yours because I promised them. It's got your name written all over it. Here they are. How many of you know what is happening right now to these sweets? Those children are reaching out and they're grabbing hold of them. Not because they're rude, selfish children, but because I promised it to them and I told them that it was theirs. Now, wouldn't this be a weird scenario if I came back from a trip and I offered my sweets to the kids and they're yours? Look, here they are. If one of them was to turn around and say, but dad, I'm not sure we're worthy to receive these sweets that you brought. I haven't been doing very well this week. I don't think I... Look, my kids might be spiritual, but they're not that spiritual. There's no way they're going to say that. That's exactly what you and I are doing. Jesus has made promises. They're yours. He's giving them to you. And here's the issue. Some of us are still saying, but I'm not sure that I should take them. And the invitation is, if you want to get into the... If you want to ask and receive and get these promises, we need to receive them by faith. There are a couple of words used to describe receiving in the Greek. One word describes receiving as that kind of waiting, receiving, waiting for something to happen. Like the watchman who waits for the dawn, waiting for the sun to rise, waiting for something that's going to happen, but you wait. That's how you receive it. The other way to receive it is using the word lambanu. Can you say that word with me? Lambanu. Remember that word. This is the receiving of taking hold, grasping something, because you know it's yours by right. Every time Jesus uses the word receive in all those scriptures we used, it's always the word lambanu. It's not passively waiting. It's laying hold of what has been promised to you. One of the great joys that I had, maybe many of us had at Ashburnham, was literally standing next to people at the end of meetings and watching them receive what God had promised to them. It wasn't me trying to do something. I would literally wasn't even kind, or kind of laying hands on them, but just letting them just carry on receiving, receiving, receiving. They kind of lambanoed, if that was a word. They reached out. They were reaching out and receiving what God had given to them. Is it possible that there are people here tonight who are asking and believing and praying in his name, but they're still not receiving? You're still not having the promise in your life because you've yet to receive. One more thing before we pray. Sometimes there's a delay when we ask God for things. Have you noticed that? There seems to be a promise and there seems to be a delay from the promise becoming a reality. It's interesting that Jesus never uses the word immediately. Do you remember those phrases I quoted back to you earlier? It shall be given you, it shall be yours, you will receive it, it shall be done. He never says it shall be given you immediately. You will receive immediately. I will do it immediately. The amazing thing is very often he does do it straight away. He does do it immediately, but sometimes he doesn't. And the gap between the promise and the delay is really important for some of us. My kids will ask me for things, but I will discern whether this is the right time and it's appropriate for them. 
And if God delays in giving the promise, it's because there's a reason, even if you don't understand it. But we do know that his timing is perfect. What happens during that delay to you and me is really important. Do we give up? Or is our posture, as it says, to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, and to keep on knocking? Because we know God's promises are true, however long the delay. And here's the deal. While there's the delay, listen, this is important. The promises do not change. They stay exactly the same. Just because there's a delay of time, some of us think, well, maybe the promises are not true. Or maybe he's changed his mind. That will never happen. Every promise is true. Maybe delayed for reasons we don't understand. But God's promises are true and therefore we can lean into God and trust him for everything that he wants to give to us. Why don't we stand together? Should we just close our eyes? I'm conscious that all across this room there are people who are facing things that are difficult and can be things that we would not have chosen in our lives. Some of us are just kind of going through life at the moment and it's just with ease and it's wonderful. But whatever our situation, we can tonight reach out and receive the promises of God. He is faithful. We've just touched tonight on a few of his promises. Let me tell you, for every promise we've mentioned tonight, there's a hundred more behind them. Bible's chock-a-block full of them. Amazing. And God's will is that you should not wait to heaven before you experience these promises. I sometimes say to people, you know, in heaven, you will never, ever have to exercise faith. Why not? Because you've already received everything. But in the meantime, on earth, we need bucket loads of faith. God's will tonight is to stir some of us. As we look at the promises, it's time to start asking. Would you become good at asking tonight? Even this week? Are there some things that you and I should ask God to do and not hold back? Let's pray that our faith, believing, believing the promises will grow, that we'll pray with right motives in his name and that we'll even reach out tonight onwards to receive what God has for us. Bex Hill, this morning, Liz was just praying with a lady who uh, just said, I, I need to be filled with the Spirit because you see the promise is there to every child. Just receive. And Liz had hardly even laid hands on her and the Spirit of God just came upon her like a huge weight, a good weight. And she could hardly contain God's amazing love. Then Liz said, would you like to speak in tongues? She said, well, can I? Well, it's another gift from God. It's just something there. And immediately flooded with tongues. This is not, this is not, these promises are not up there somewhere. They are really close to us. And God is our Father, just wants us to reach out. Is there something that you should be reaching out to receive that you've never received before this evening? And uh, my prayer is just simply this that what I've spoken about tonight will be a lifestyle.
I just spoke to somebody uh, as I came in uh, this evening who had heard this preach this morning and said, I've written all four of your conditions in my phone so that every day and every moment I look at them to remind myself that someone being really diligent. It's good to know that at least one person today listened to this sermon. (laughs) Father, I want to pray for many here to have a lifestyle of asking, of believing, of praying in your name, and of receiving. Not just for for this tonight, but for this coming week and the weeks to come. I ask it in your name. Amen.